Hello and welcome to The Solution, a wellness manifesto. I'm your host, Dr. Nate Lowenstein, and this is episode number two, What is Stress and How is it Killing Us? All right, let's get into it. Okay, the first thing I want to briefly talk about in episode two, we covered in the last episode, but I just want to bring it again to the foreground why we are here. We're here because we're in the midst of the greatest health crisis in history. As of 2012, half of America has one or more chronic illness, and seven out of the top 10 causes of death worldwide are chronic illness. The top two, cancer and heart disease, account for almost half of every single death happening, and these numbers are getting worse not better. So what's going on? Well, to start with, we need to define health and then wellness. Health is very well defined by the World Health Organization as a state of complete physical, mental, and social well-being, not merely the absence of disease or infirmity. This is a wonderful definition because we all too often think of health as simply showing no obvious signs or symptoms of sickness, but genuine health is so much more than that. So let's break down their definition. We have Complete physical health or a healthy body, complete mental health, a healthy mind and healthy social interactions, a healthy community and healthy interpersonal interactions. That sounds great. That's ideal right there. So what is wellness? Well, my definition for wellness has always been an active pursuit of health. So an active pursuit of complete physical, mental and social well-being. So wellness is really just living your day-to-day life and making more choices that move you closer to health and further away from sickness. So how do we go about making better choices? Well, first we have to understand how a so-called bad choice affects our physiology. And stress or stress physiology is the crucial foundation of that. So what is stress? Well, stress can be any number of things, but the key thing to understand about stress is that it's actually a state of physiology or a state of body function that you express based on a stressful environment. So we're going to dig deeper into that. That's the whole purpose of today's episode. The homeostasis model of healthcare works from a foundation that your physiology operates best at a certain set point. So you know what your blood pressure is supposed to be. We know what a a healthy pulse is, a healthy cholesterol level, etc. And when that set point is not at that number, for example, you have elevated blood pressure or high cholesterol, the assumption is there's a broken internal mechanism that needs to be reset to normal. Most of our pharmacological interventions are based on that principle and are designed to do exactly that. A blood pressure drug lowers blood pressure. Cholesterol medications lower cholesterol. But we're working from the assumption in that model that the cells of our bodies aren't functioning correctly, and that's why the set point is off. That line of thinking may very well be fundamentally flawed. So there is another model to explain physiology, and that model is called the allostasis model or the allostatic model. In this model, it's assumed that the set point is altered, but it's due to an environmental stimulus detected by your brain. This is essentially what stress physiology is all about. So I'm going to explain that with an example. Let's just imagine that all of us together, everybody listening, we've gone camping, but we're down under, we're back in Australia, and we've woken up in the morning. And I want you to try to imagine yourself here. I want you to try to put yourself in this scenario, okay? 
You wake up in the morning, you get out of your bedroll, there's a slight crackle to the fire. It's not quite gone out yet, so we're going to throw a couple of logs on there to warm it up because it's a little bit cool. It's the morning air. And our mate Dano, he's there, and he's getting ready to make some coffee, and he's asked you if you'll go down to the river and pick up some water for us. So you're going to head down to the river. You can smell the eucalyptus trees. You can feel the grass crunching under your feet. As you get down to the river, you can see the sunrise on the horizon. You can see kangaroos in the distance. You can see those trees, those eucalyptus trees in the background. You can hear that river moving. So put yourself in the scene. Now you, you've got your bucket. You lean down towards the river to fill the bucket with the water. And in your peripheral vision, you detect some movement in that water. And that movement becomes more rapid. And you quickly identify that there's a crocodile moving towards you in that water. And it shoots out of the water towards the bank that you're standing on. You drop the bucket. And now you have to decide, are you going to fight the crocodile or are you going to run away? If you're playing along and you really were imagining yourself in that scenario, you may have noticed that you had an increase in your breathing and your heart rate went up and you felt some muscle tension maybe in your chest or your arms. Where did that come from? This is your autonomic nervous system initiating a fight or flight response in anticipation of an imagined threat. You're nowhere near a crocodile. You're nowhere near a river. So one very important thing, and this really does matter that will become clear in a moment, is that we believe that we as humans are really unique in this regard, that we can initiate stress or become stressed out due to an imagined stressor, due to an anticipation of a stress later, or in reliving old stresses such as an old argument or an old car accident, any old trauma. So that's really important that we can we have sort of a mental control over this stress physiology and causing it to happen. So let's get back to the crocodile. So what's happening in your body right now is you saw that crocodile shoot out of the water towards you on the bank. Well, you're going into overdrive preparing yourself to fight this crocodile. Oh yeah, by the way, um, you did decide to fight the crocodile. You're feeling brave. You've seen nature shows. You're ready for this. Good on you, mate. Here we go. So your sympathetic nervous system is now active. You're going to experience a few immediate things that you can actually feel. Your heart rate's going to go up. Your breathing is going to go up and your blood pressure is going to go up. You're going to be moving blood and oxygen around your body faster. This is enabling you to fuel the cells that are about to fight a crocodile. Now, for some of the things you don't feel that are happening, but these are absolutely necessary for your survival. So the other thing that's going to happen is we're going to, when we activate this autonomic nervous system, we're going to stimulate glands to produce hormones associated with stress, namely catecholamines or what you know of as adrenaline and noradrenaline and cortisol. These hormones are going to cause a few physiological adaptations that are going to help you with this fight. Your blood sugar is going to go up because you're liberating fuel into the bloodstream. That's what sugar is. Glucose goes into cells and allows those cells to function. They function as fuel for you to fight this crocodile. So you have elevated blood glucose that's now available throughout the body. There's going to be an alteration in your cholesterol levels that is going to ultimately help you repair damage both from injury and potentially from the damage caused by your increased heart rate. Your immune system is going to actually become down-regulated. To fight a crocodile, you don't need your immune system. White blood cells are not going to win that fight. And your immune system actually costs quite a bit of energy to run. Anyone who's ever had an actual influenza where you have a, a high fever 
it knocks you out for days. You are on the couch. You, you can't be bothered to do anything. Just regular movement hurts. And part of that is we are running that immune system and we need the energy to do that. So it costs a lot of energy energy that you now need to fight a crocodile. So we're going to downregulate that immune system during the fight, okay? Afterwards, that immune system is going to come back better than ever because if we get bit by the crocodile, we're going to need to fight the pathogens that might be present in that bite. But we don't need it to win the fight against the crocodile. So there's also going to be a, an increased circulation of sex hormones like testosterone due to a reduction of a system that keeps those hormones under control. And again, this is beneficial. These hormones are essential for the fight or flight response. Another interesting phenomenon that you, you might actually notice, or some of you will have noticed in hindsight, is that under stress, there's a very rapid increase in signal detection, meaning that you will rapidly detect changes in the environment. So you'll be able to identify potential weapons against this crocodile, find an escape route, or see weaknesses in their defenses or movement. The downside to that rapid increase in attention for quick changes is that you'll actually have a decrease in cognition. So under stress, it's going to be very difficult for you to learn and remember stress physiology. So with all of those pieces in place, you're now ready to fight this crocodile. Okay, your body has gotten you ready to do that. And if you win the fight, you're in the stressful environment. That's you and the crocodile. If you win the fight, you get out of that stressful environment, all of those machines that, that went into overdrive are going to be turned down. Your parasympathetic nervous system is going, to, is going to turn those down, and it will take over. That's your rest and digest. The interesting thing about those two different systems is when one is running, when the sympathetic nervous system is running, the parasympathetic nervous system can't run as effectively. It's kind of one or the other. So now using the exact same principles, I'm going to paint kind of a different picture. Let's say you're laying in bed, you wake up, you take a look at your alarm clock, and you realize it's 20 minutes later than you meant to wake up. You've woken up late, you didn't set your alarm. Everybody's been in that position at one time or another. What's the first thing that happens? Your breathing goes up, your heart rate goes up, you're in a panic mode. Okay, you have kids, you scream, you get the kids out of bed. You get them to the breakfast table. They're arguing with each other. That's distracting you. You finally get everybody dressed. You get them in the car. On the way to school, one of the kids realizes, oh, they forgot their backpack. You got to head back home and pick it up. You grab the backpack. You get them to school. You're on your way to work. You haven't had breakfast, so you just hit the drive through You grab whatever you can. You got a coffee. You got a, a sausage muffin. You spill the coffee on your shirt. You don't have another shirt. Once you get to the office, you realize... You've forgotten your laptop at home and all the chaos from this morning. You had a saved version of the presentation you have to do today, but you don't have that updated version on your office computer, so you just have to use the old version. You fumble through it. It doesn't go well. You're low on time now. You're running late for lunch. You just have to grab whatever you can, so you hit the drive through for lunch. You get back from work. You get through the afternoon, but you take some heat for the not-so-great pre presentation. You end up working late. There's no time for you to go to the gym, no time for you to exercise. You're late to pick the kids up from their activities. At this point, you cannot be bothered to cook. You just grab some more takeout pizza or you get it delivered. Finally, everybody's fed. The kids have had help with their homework. You've had your own dinner. You finally get to sit down to rest. It's 930 at night. You've been fighting crocodiles for the last 14 hours almost uninterrupted. Carry this on for days, weeks, months, or years. And what do you have? So looking at the exact same situation that we laid out while you were fighting your crocodile, but now take it and magnify it over a long period of time. You have increased blood sugar, 
which leads to insulin resistance. You combine that with an increase in cravings for sugar and salt and the abundance of high sugar foods that are specifically designed for you to crave more of them so that, and there is no shortage of that type of food around. This is a great recipe to develop type two diabetes. As I mentioned before, your immune system is run down. Your sex hormones are at increased levels, freely floating around. You have high blood sugar and inflammation. Um, again, the diet leading to that, the stress physiology leading to the cravings for higher sugar foods. Now you're at an increased risk for site-specific cancers like colorectal cancer, breast cancer, prostate cancer. In addition, we mentioned the elevated blood pressure. This is a hallmark of stress physiology. It's almost the first thing you notice when you're under stress is your blood pressure, heart rate, and breathing go up. This, combined with the alterations in cholesterol and the inflammation and things that we've already mentioned, are an excellent recipe for heart disease. The increase in signal detection that I mentioned, making rapid environmental changes easy to detect, but reducing the ability to learn. We've seen an increase in ADHD and other learning disabilities and behavioral disabilities. They've never been higher and they continue to rise. So taking another look at this, just to keep it really simple, we know that under stress, we elevate our blood pressure. We know that we have higher cholesterol or changes in our cholesterol profile. We know that we have elevated blood sugar. These are all intelligent responses that are built in your physiology to help you survive a stressful environment. They are all also markers for chronic illness, and there's a medical treatment or intervention for every single one of them. Dr. Peter Sterling from the University of Pennsylvania Department of Neuroscience had this to say, adaptation. And what we mean by adaptation is the change in that set point based on an environmental stimulus, okay? So adaptation may turn out badly over time, which is to say will result in chronic illness, so it'll turn out badly over time, but the outcome is not based on any low-level error or defect. To translate that, what Dr. Sterling is saying is that your cells, the cells of your body are working. They're doing their job by responding to the environment that you find yourself in. He goes on to quote, the allostasis model clearly identifies a paradox. People are dying, but their internal regulatory mechanisms are intact. So where should we intervene? So again, he's saying your cellular function is normal, and then the question he poses is, if, this, if the body, if the physiology and the cellular function is normal and functioning appropriately to the environment that it finds itself in, where do we intervene? And to me, this is a very easy question to answer. If the environment is creating the scenario that's causing sickness, we have to intervene in the environment. What does that mean? It means we have to create an environment that is less stressful to you. How do we do that? We do it by eating, moving, and thinking for wellness. We look for simple solutions that we can actually incorporate into our real life that we will actually do and maintain. When I teach this in workshops, I always mention the movie Supersize Me. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's a movie with a guy named Morgan Spurlock. He was a pretty healthy dude to start with. And then he went on a, a diet where he ate nothing but fast food every day, three meals a day. And if they asked him if he wanted an increased size, he had to say yes. Okay. As I mentioned, he started out healthy 28 days into the experiment. The endocrinologist, I think, that he was working with said, hey, you've got to stop. Your liver is going to shut down. He had what's called non-alcoholic steatohepatitis or fatty liver disease. 
or he was showing the markers of that disease, which is the, it's the early onset of chronic illness for a, a person whose diet and lifestyle is just not conducive to health. What they don't mention in that show, and what I always like to point out is, the doctors he was working with knew the experiment he was doing on himself. If he had gone to another or a different healthcare provider, they may have run some labs and done some tests and said, Morgan, you have elevated blood pressure, your cholesterol levels are crazy, we've got to get you on some medications. Would they have asked him, Morgan, are you eating fast food three meals a day every day? And if you are, it's time to knock that off, man. We've got to do better. In my personal life, I have kind of the opposite experience. When I was leaving the army, I had to have a physical. So during my physical, I identified high triglycerides, high blood pressure, high cholesterol. I had a family history of cardiovascular disease, all of these markers for chronic illness. And I was told based on that, that I would likely be medicated for these things in the very near future. I was not quite yet 30 years old. I did my wellness lifestyle training and I changed my perspective, which caused me to change how I was living, primarily my nutrition. Even before changing nutrition, I was already exercising. I was engaged in CrossFit. I was doing it regularly, but I wasn't changing the way I ate. As soon as I changed my nutrition, and all I did was change what I was eating. I didn't measure anything or weigh it or anything like that. I just changed what I was eating, and I just watched the pounds fall off. I lost 60 pounds. At my most recent physical, all of my labs were normal. Everything was in the normal range. I don't take any medications for chronic illness of any kind. Even my physician has told me, you know, you're one of the healthiest people we see at the VA, which to me is sad, and I, I would like to see us do better. Another situation that's, ha that's playing out right now, which we mentioned last week, I'm talking to you, I'm recording this episode in the midst of the coronavirus quarantine, uh, and that's definitely worth mentioning because, once again, we are seeing this pandemic this infectious disease that seems to be affecting elderly people and those with chronic illness to a higher degree, but it's not completely sparing the middle-aged, younger, or otherwise what we would think of as reasonably healthy. And there may be an explanation to that here as well. In a study to understand the impact of stress on immunity, some researchers measured stress both by asking participants about their subjective stress, you know, how stressed out they are in life, and also by measuring cortisol levels, which is a good indicator of stress. They then exposed these participants to the rhinovirus, which is a virus that causes the common cold. The people under the highest levels of stress, and, and what's significant here is that it was a perceived stress that was more than a month. So this chronic stress, those people that were the highest for that were the most susceptible to this virus. And why that matters is that when we see the current virus affecting people who we would think otherwise you're healthy, stress by itself is not a medical diagnosis. However, a person under chronic stress is more at risk for not just chronic illness, but it would appear infectious diseases as well. And you, you can kind of ask some questions about that geographically. I think it would be stereotypical to say that your average New Yorker is more stressed out than your average Californian, but we are seeing this infectious illness play out in different ways in those two places. A great summary for understanding stress physiology or the allostatic model is a metaphor taught to me by Dr. James Chestnut. So when we talk about allostasis, we're talking about how much stress are we under? And his model is called the rocks in the backpack model. So I'm gonna go through that with you. So I put you in a swimming pool 
and you've got arm floaties. Hopefully everybody knows what those are, just the little inflatable things you stick on your arm, water wings they're called, and they just keep you floating on top of the water. Each one of them has a little hole in it, and the arm floaties hold about 120 years worth of air. So that represents how long your human DNA can survive on Earth, roughly. You're also wearing a backpack. If you make healthy choices, if you eat a good diet, if you have no stress at all, we're going to assume that you can live to be 120 years, give or take. Now, instead of that, you choose to eat a poor diet. You have high processed foods, high sugars. You're doing what Morgan Spurlock did, and you're, get, you're hitting the drive through three times a day, and you're getting the bigger portions if they ask you. So you throw some rocks in that backpack. You don't exercise ever. You throw some more rocks in that backpack. You don't like water. You don't like the taste. You just drink soda. More rocks in the backpack. You're a smoker more rocks in the backpack. So again, if you imagine this person floating with this backpack on, every time a rock hits the backpack, it weighs them down and pulls them deeper into the water. The water level then is squeezing harder at those water wings, letting air out faster. This is shortening life. So those each rock is what you can understand as a stressor that is increasing this person's allostatic load. Okay, so there's no need to get hung up on the fancy words. We just have rocks in the backpack. But we can make other choices that take rocks out of the backpack. If I decide to start an exercise program, if I decide to replace soda with water or just to make sure that I get enough water to drink, if I decide to prioritize sleep over television shows, I can pull rocks out of that backpack. Okay. So stress physiology or allostatic load is the problem. So if that's the problem, what's the solution? We just need fewer rocks in the backpack. We've already discussed that wellness is an active pursuit of health. So you just need to get active in your pursuit of health. And what I've said is that in this show, I'm going to give you a practically applicable step every episode. So here's step one. The easiest way to move towards health to start by eating real food. We need to increase our intake of fruits and vegetables across the board. It's estimated that 25% of Americans get the recommended daily allowance of fruit and vegetables, and I'm going to tell you right now, even that RDA is lower than it should be. Some of the pushback I get in this conversation is, well, hey, Dr. Nate, I have heard that fruit is bad for you because of fructose. Fruit is not the problem, okay? The United States is the most overweight, unhealthy nation on the planet, and it is not because we are eating too many apples and bananas. That is not the problem. In fact, I will just tell you, one of my favorite go-to breakfasts when I would go to my drill weekends when I was in the Army was to buy a blueberry muffin loaf and a chocolate milk. Now, if I replace that blueberry muffin loaf with a fruit smoothie and that chocolate milk with just a, a dose of protein... Boom, I am already moving myself away from sickness and towards health. We do not have to overcomplicate this. So step one, Dr. James Chestnut, again, I'm reaching back to him. I learned a lot from that guy, and you will, you will hear a lot of it in this show. He has a concept that he calls fresh fiber first. And that just means that you commit to every time you're going to eat food, whether it's a snack or a meal, you eat a fresh fruit or vegetable first. Okay. In next week's conversation, we're going to talk a little bit about how much fruit and vegetables 
is ideal and what in the direction we want to move in in terms of quantity. But for right now, if you can just make that commitment that every time I'm going to eat, I'm going to start with something real and fresh, you're already taking a huge leap away from sickness and towards health. Okay, so I'm going to talk a little bit about next week's episode. Next week's episode's title is my favorite one so far. It's called Your Friend's Diet is Stupid. As I mentioned in last week's episode, we thought about naming the show this, but it, didn't, it just didn't wrap up everything we wanted to talk about. But your friend's diet is stupid because your friend's diet is stupid. Everybody's got a friend and everybody knows somebody who's telling them, this is what you have to do, this is what you have to do. I realize the irony is that I'm sitting here telling you, this is what you have to do, but I'm going to back it up. So we're going to talk about why diets fail. And the reason, the primary reason as a spoiler, is when you commit to a diet, what you're asking for or what you're committing to is weight loss, and you are statistically guaranteed to fail if that is your goal. And it is essentially a self-talk or goal orientation issue, in my opinion. And we're going to provide you with some easy steps to begin the process of addressing that and just changing your mindset towards why you want to change. So that will be next week's episode. I sincerely hope you'll join me. Thanks so much for joining me today on The Solution, A Wellness Manifesto. I appreciate you being here. I hope that the information we covered in this week's episode was beneficial to you and that you can apply it into your life to help yourself move away from sickness and towards health. I'd like to thank my sponsor, Functional Performance Chiropractic and Wellness, for their ongoing support. And I'd like to appeal to you. If you know anyone who would benefit from the information we're talking about on this show, and I know you do, please refer them back to episode number one so we can all get started on the same page. I look forward to working with you and them. Until next week, take good care of yourself.